This is HPR episode 2868 entitled, Custom Data with Persistent, and is part of the series, Haskell, it is hosted by Tuku Toroto, and is about 20 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is, Tutoto explains how to serialize custom data with Persistent. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Radio and you're listening to Tukaturta or Tuturta. Uh, today I'm talking about custom data with Persistent. So Persistent is the Haskell library for connecting to the database that I have been using with the Yesod, that is a, a framework for building websites. So quick recap how the how this thing works. There's a, a models file in a config directory that is text and this uh, config, config file uh, is used by the compiler and in the config file you list your data uh, data types or entities and the, the, the compiler will generate you the code for that and it also will generate code that will create the database for you so when you first first time you start your brand new desert application, it will connect to the database. Notice that, that it is empty and it will generate the database schema for you. Later on, every time it connects, if you choose to use it, it, it will check the schema and the config file and perform the migration if there's, there's a changes there. Sometimes the migrations work, sometimes they don't depending on, on, what, on what you do. If you add a, a non-mandatory column or field in your data, then persistent can do the upgrade, but if you add a mandatory value, then it cannot do the update, and you have to do it by by yourself, by hand. I wouldn't use this for the uh, production data, but in the development, it's really, really handy. So, Persistent maps database and the Haskell types. So you get a records on the Haskell side and then you get data, the database tables on the database side. And columns of the database, of course, have different, different types and so does the Haskell data and the persistent does the mapping between these data too. There's a pre-existing mappings for common types like text and numbers of various kinds. But sometimes, quite often actually, you want to have a bit more granular approach on the Haskell side. You want to, you don't want to use the, those rather primitive data types, so you want to have something more specific. And then the persistent doesn't know how to handle those. So 
you you need a mapping between your the between the data that you wrote by yourself and the database. Uh, good news is that the persistent can do this manually. Uh, sorry, automatically. If the well, basically any any type of data. Uh, if you have a, for example, in in my game, I have a building type that is a enumeration. It has a values like sensor station, research complex, farm, particle aggregator, neutron detector, so on. If I wanted to store this in the database, I could find on the Haskell side, derive persist field, quotation, building type, quotation. And during the compile time, the compiler will generate the mapping for me. I can I can use in the in that config slash models file that defines my entities. I can now have a, for example a building entity and there I can have a field type that has a value of building type. And in the Haskell side this is just nothing nothing uh Strange. There's just a, I have a building type there that I can use as any any regular data because it is regular data. On the database side, there's a column in my building table that has a type of varchar because the default default implementation of the mapping is to turn turn enumerations into into text. So if I have a farm type type of if I have a building that is type of farm, then its type is stored as a farm uh, string in the database. Uh, some people like to store these enumerations as a uh, numbers because it's more compact; it doesn't take so much of space. But I actually like storing them strings because they are easier to easier to handle when you are manually editing or reading the database. It's easier to remember that the farm as a string means a farm than remember that three as a number means a farm. So this is how, how the persist can do the automatic deriving. Uh, it also works for the complex data. For example I have a person name in in my project that has three cases and like there's a simple names these are basically just a, just a first name and maybe a cognomen like you can have a Pete or you can have a, a some fisherman then there's a regular names that have a first name family name maybe the cognomen these are like John Smith and uh, Susan Johnson, the brave, and then there's the regal names that are most most complex. These have the first name, family name. Uh, they have a regnal number that is the running running number that is used to distinguish distinguish between the rulers of the with same names, and then they have the cognomen. So you can have a George third and or you can have William the Conqueror and such. I mean, of course, this would have a family names too, but they are, for some for some 
for some odd reason the, with the royalty. But, well, depending on the culture, they go by their first name and the regnal number. Anyway, and this, I actually can have a person name as a data type and store that into the database and it gets converted into the varchar again. And there's a lot of information about which which uh, of these three types it actually is and what field is what. And there's quite a, quite a bit noise. I wouldn't want to deal with that manually, so I can just say to the person, do this, do this for me, please. The, side, the downside is that manually editing that person name, uh, manually editing a column that is type of person name is painful and I usually don't do that. Uh, for new types, automatic deriving doesn't work that well because there's, a, there's this extra noise and extra information and it's stored as a text. So I think that's a bit extra. New type is that method of the way of defining a new type that behaves like a, some existing type, but it's distinct of that. For example, in my game, I have a star date that denotes a well, point in time, star date. And that is internally represented as an int. So I'm defining it as a new type, star date equals star date, open curly bracket, unstarted, double colon, int, close curly bracket. So now I have a star date that is a, actually an int. I can I can perform calculations with it. I can add two star dates together. I can compare two two star dates. I can see if they are equal or if one is later in time than another one, and so on. If I were to store this into the database using the automatic deriving, for example, today's today's star date would be stored into the database as a text star date open curly bracket unstar date equals two zero one nine uh six close close curly bracket and that's a that's a two thousand uh, that's a sixth month of two thousand nineteen and that is a because it's a text in the database, it's hard to compare them in the SQL. You cannot order them, and you cannot pick, pick all the dates with a given range and such things. You would have to do all that thing in the code. So I would want to store this as a number. So in the database, it will be a number, so I can do all the database operations that can be done to the numbers, but on the Haskell side, it would still be a star date because I don't want to mix the star dates with the shoe sizes, for example. So how this is done? There's a two type classes that I have to make instance of. I know that I ha I still haven't made made a episode about type classes, but I'll try to make that soon. But uh, type classes basically mean that you have a a common interface that is shared between different data data. So this in this case there's a 
two type classes. There's a persist field, and then there's the persist, persist field SQL. So the first one is is used to map from the from the between the uh, Haskell side and the database side, and the second one is used to tell what is actually the type on the on the server on the database side. So the persist field. I, I have these definitions written down in the, the show notes if you want to check them. And I try to skip a bit of the extra noise here, so it, it is uh, followable if you are just listening. So, in the persist field, I basically have to just write the instance persist field start rate where, and then the definitions. I have a, two functions to persist value that takes a start date and returns a persist value, so it converts to the persist value. And here it just, I just say that to persist value start date n equals persist in 64 dollar form integral n. So I take my start date apart so that I have access to that internal integer and I construct a persist in 64 with this value. Now I have mapped my start date into the into the first value. Then there's another fun function from first value that takes first value and re possibly returns a start date. Possibly because there's multiple first values, like there's numbers, there's text, and so on. So we have to take into account that maybe somebody made somewhere a mistake and we are trying to deserialize text into the start date. But first the happy case from persist value persist in 64 n equals write dollar start date dollar for me integral n. So we are taking that persist in 64 apart so that we get get access to the number inside of it, we call the from integral into that so that we can make make sure that it's a correct correct integer type, there's a, because there's int, there's integer and so on. We construct a star date with that value and then we construct write with that unconstructed star date value. So we are returning write star date and the value. This is the happy case. Then we have an unhappy case where we just write from persist value underscore. This means that anything that hasn't been matched so far, so basically anything else that isn't persist in 64. So from persist value underscore equals left quotation failed to deserialize quotation mark. This means that if for some odd reason somebody would try to deserialize text into the start date, it shouldn't happen. Because we are dealing with the Haskell, we have to take into account cases that shouldn't happen, because they still might happen. So if somebody would try to deserialize text into the start date, they would get a left fail to deserialize. So they would get an error case. So this takes care of nothing between Haskell and the database. The second, second uh, type class that we need to in, 
implement or have the instance of is the persist field SQL that this is solver. It just says instance persist field SQL star date where SQL type underscore equals SQL int 64. This tells that when a uh, persistent is creating the database and it encounters a uh, table definition where it says where the type of column is star date, it by, by this, it understands that it needs to create a column of SQL in 64. So now, when we use this, this uh, if, now, if we now use the star date in, in our table definitions, we are not getting a large source anymore, but we are getting a integers, which is more compact and allows us to treat it as a, as a number in the database and allows us to do well, whatever you can do with the numbers of the SQL database. So, this is how you do the mapping. There's an, one more trick that is tangentially related to here, called uh, is string type class. So, uh, for example, in, in my code, there I have a planet name new type that is used to store surprise surprise planet names because I don't want to mix the planet names with the star names with the ruler names or with the ship names for example so I have planet name and normally if I'm constructing these planet names on the Haskell side manually I would have to say that let uh, I would have to say like a my planet equals planet name, quotation mark, earth, quotation mark. So now my planet name is earth. But it would be really nice to just write earth and have the compiler to deduce the correct type. Because if a couple lines after that I'm using it as a planet name, the compiler should be able to do that. Because it knows that here's a, some sort of text and a couple lines afterwards it's used as a planet name so it has to be a planet name and this there's a there's a way of doing this it requires a language extension called overloaded strings you can enable this with now compile options when you're invoking the compiler in depending on your build system you can configure them or you can just have a language pragma in your source code file source file that is just open open curly bracket dash uh, whatever that is the thing is that it looks like a fence language overloaded strings again the fence thingy dash close curly bracket so this 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 pragma means that now in this source file overloaded strings is turned on and then of course you have to well of course but you know but then you still need a is string instance for your database data type so in our planet name it would be just instance is string planet name where from string equals planet name dot from string that's it nothing nothing more what this means is that whenever the compiler needs to convert from some some text 
into the planet name, it knows that it can do, use the from string combined with the planet name. So planet name uh, value constructor just takes a string value. And this allows us to uh, use the planet name without specifying that it is planet name. The compiler will st still still type check. It won't allow you to mix things that aren't the same things, but you don't have to keep specifying that this string is a planet name. As long as you consistently use it as a planet name, everything works out. It's not a big deal, but it, it make, I think it makes writing programs a bit nicer. And the advantage is that you will never mix planet with a star name, or building that with a shoe type, or hat size with a shoe size. Okay, uh, that's, that's today's episode. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me by email or at the Fediverse, where I'm tuturto at mastodon.social. Thanks for listening. Ad Astra. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.